As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. Welcome to Stars Matter in the Until Saturday feed. I'm Mitch Light, joined by Manny Navarro who covers Miami for us at this point, guys, usually I have something witty to say about what we're doing, like Ari's traveling our graces, but you know what? It's, we're like in the dog days. There's the off season. Nothing's going on. I'm sure Manny's playing pickleball and coaching soccer, but other than that, Manny, like, how you doing, buddy? I, I'm doing good. I'm going to ask you guys off air for some advice on how to deal with my cocky eight, eight year old daughter who is now talking trash every time she takes the ball away from one of her teammates in practice. So I got to <laughs> get some advice from you guys about how to I handle think it. It's good Ar- that it'll come off the air because I don't want to get fired. Yeah, I think Ari and I will have different, uh, <laughs> d- different, different advice there. Ari, um, how you doing, bud? Anything uh, exciting going on? Are you, you got your parents coming in town this weekend? Is that, is that yeah, source of sources coming tell in me? Town. Okay. My parents are coming into town. They come like every six weeks to visit their granddaughter. That happens once you have a kid. How your parents seem to be. My parents never once visited me where I lived when I lived in Ohio. Uh, And now they come all the time. So it's good that they're coming. I'm looking forward to it. And it's uh, it's always exciting to have family in. That's good. Grace, we got some construction in in your house. I know we we had to turn the camera so we don't see like walls coming down. But I hope all is well in Virginia. All is well. A little wallpaper heavy. But yes. Speaking speaking of Virginia. Your state is involved in a lawsuit, I guess, with the state of Tennessee, the attorneys general, whatever. Uh, you know, obviously, I'm referring to what's going on in Tennessee. No, news broke yesterday, and um, we're going to get into that for about ten or fifteen minutes. It's definitely very topical. Um, but if you want a deep dive, a little deeper dive on the intricacies of what's going on with Tennessee and the lawsuit and all that, uh, go to our YouTube channel. Earlier on, on uh, Wednesday, Ari, along with David Ubbin and Chris Vanini, had a really good discussion. I was able to listen to about 15 minutes of that. You guys did a good job. I'm going to listen to the entire thing soon. So listen to that. But for our listeners, Ari, let's say your mom, speaking of parents, let's say your mom calls. Ari, how you doing today? I miss you. I saw on the news that Tennessee's in trouble. Were they cheating? I thought you could pay players now. Ari, what's going on? How would you explain to your mom What's going on with the University of Tennessee in the NCAA? My mom's Israeli, um, so she's not really <laughs> big on college football. But well, you know, have you guys seen um, Ace Ventura? Like when he's about to say something, um, like for a long period of time, he goes, 
<laughs> sucks in all the air and tries it. I'm going to try to like – my instructions were to go one right, minute right. on this. So I don't know how that's possible. You, we asked Ari to like explain the most complicated thing in college sports and be more concise than he's ever been. So – yeah, Go. and also we're all kind of trying to figure out the extent of this right. together, to even reporters. So Tuesday evening, uh, Sports Illustrated revealed that Tennessee was under investigation by the NCAA um, for NIL-related infractions, most certainly probably to do with former five-star quarterback Nico Ayamaleva and his courtship to the University of Tennessee, which, you know, as we reported on The Athletic and, and at other places, they, he got a very big NIL deal. Shortly after uh, this revelation, Tennessee Chancellor Don D. Plowman released a letter to the NCAA president, Charlie Baker, and it was a sternly worded email (laughs) that basically told the NCAA to go shove it um, after coming after Tennessee's collective, not football program, but collective and buried poor leadership in the NCAA for cultivating an environment with vague rules that were interpreted different ways by everybody. Um, There's a lot of money at stake here and a lot of income to be had, and everybody's kind of following different rules. Um, Plowman then, you know, called the allegations factually untrue, procedurally flawed, and mentioned that nobody affiliated with the NCAA or with the Tennessee football program was in the NCAA's investigation. Aspire Sports is the collective that's involved there. So you have that whole mess and you have an investigation into a program for the wrongdoings of a collective that aren't actually employees of the university. So as you can tell, it's already getting pretty murky. Then Tuesday morning, um, the state of Tennessee and Virginia filed a federal antitrust lawsuit because grace lives in Virginia and, uh, it's Wednesday against morning, the, not a big deal, but just Wednesday morning, not Tuesday, Wednesday right? morning. Yeah, yes. Okay. Tuesday night. This happened yes, Wednesday morning. Okay. Sorry. Thank you, Mitch, which challenged the legality of the NIL guidelines exist in the current infrastructure framework of the NCAA rules. Tennessee are now Tennessee and Virginia are now seeking temporary restraining order, barring the NCAA from enforcing any NIL recruiting ban or taking any other action to prevent prospective college athletes, a transfer candidates, uh, any sort of flack when it comes to meaningful NIL discussion prior to enrollment. So basically, you know, if you're induced, it's that big buzzword that we've used on this podcast a lot. You know, are you allowed to induce? Are you allowed to regulate the inducements? And can you prohibit anybody from doing or getting an inducement? It's kind of nonsense. So the suit, the suit is seeking to re- deregulate the process um, of athletes signing NIL deals and loosen the rules entirely around NIL. I know that Tennessee is the biggest thing here, guys. We're, we're worried about the University of Tennessee and what they may have done wrong if there's a private jet or whatever. But this is more about the NCAA rule than it is about what Tennessee did. Like, can it be sustained um, where you can have any limitations whatsoever on what anybody's allowed to earn and when they're allowed to earn it? Good work. Did I do a good job? Yeah, I think so. I was yes. just thinking inducement okay. is the only use. Tw- we only use it twice, either like labor or recruiting. Mm-hmm. Is that basically the only time we use the word <laughs> inducement? But so, Grace, you have thrown around the term in our discussion semantics a lot. And Manny, yes. feel free to chime in. Do we? Th- okay, Grace, you, go ahead. And, and, and how are you using that term? Uh, okay, so I think we can all agree that the rule itself is ludicrous, right? Like, if you're worth eight million dollars, you should be able to get eight million dollars. We live in America; this is a capitalist society, whatever. But I think Tennessee, if they get out of this, it's going to be based on semantics, and it's going to be based on parsing certain specific phrases and well, what did this mean? And just trying to get out of it on little technicalities when in reality, I think we can all agree Tennessee probably violated the spirit of the rules and the spirit of the laws with the way that they ran their collective and have used their funds as quite literally an inducement. Fair. I have an issue with the rule, not necessarily like 
I, the NCAA yeah, is enforcing a stupid rule, but they are enforced. Like you do sign up to play by the rules when you agree to be in college football. Yeah. This Mitch, is, a, I'm going to jump in here. If yeah, you don't mind, please do. Because I think this is an important distinction. Um, there are two discussions to be had here, and then I'll kick it to Manny because he's got the big brains on this. But one is, did they break the rules? And I think that as the rules are written, it seems pretty clear that they did, and, and not just Tennessee, other programs too. There were a lot of programs who were out in the front of this thing at the very beginning of NIL, really just kind of going balls to the wall, and now we're starting to see some of those those teams get – I mean, even the Jaden Rashada thing in Florida has been, been investigated. Um, but – there is the other discussion point here, which is whether or not it's a good rule or an enforceable rule. So in college football, um, I've written a lot uh, recently, you know, whether NIL or cheating or whatever it is with the Michigan scandal about rules and if they're stupid or not. And I've gotten a lot of pushback about, you know, what's wrong with you? Why don't you think people should follow rules? You know, blah, blah, blah. Like, I think that it is like an interesting deal to follow the rules but also if the rule is stupid, like there's this weird dichotomy between the two things of like, should we focus on whether you broke the rule or should we focus on the stupidity of the rule? And I think that's kind of the heart of the issue we're at here. It's like, how do you punish people for, for what they've done if the rule doesn't make sense and isn't even enforceable in court? Like that is the, the crux of it. And whether or not that's going to manifest into changes with the NCAA and the way that this stuff is handled moving forward is kind of like, are we at a crossroads in the NCAA's like, situation as a whole manny floor is I, yours and you take it any way you want yeah i, I mean i completely agree here the, the the issue is did tennessee break rules well i think it's pretty obvious that they did according to the spirit of the ncaa rules but this goes back to the heart of the issue of what the ncaa is all about which is amateurism right you're supposed to be an amateur you're not supposed to be able to make money you're supposed to be a student and I think at this point, the real question is, do we even need the NCAA anymore, right? Like if, if, if the NCAA can't enforce its rules and, it, and they're not supposed to be, uh, this is not supposed to be uh, professional sports, then why, why do we even have a governing body that's trying to enforce these rules? A quick, quick, the NCAA though, and people hear this all the time, it is comprised of the schools. So right. a lot of times they're enforcing rules that the schools have agreed to. Now this is, this one's a little murky. This whole thing I'm going to switch sports for a second. I keep thinking about Will Wade. You guys know Will Wade fired as LSU's basketball coach a couple of years ago. Yes. He's, do, he's back at McNeese State doing a great job. He will be a name that will come up in coaching, coaching uh, carousel this year. Everyone knows Will Wade basically cheated. He was on record you know, saying we're going to strong-ass offer and all that. But now what he was accused of is pretty much legal. Players are being paid. So like... Do you hire Will Wade if you're a school, knowing that he cheated, that it's kind of Ari's point. He broke a rule that existed. We all knew it was a rule. Other other coaches were forced to play by the rules, and he broke them. So does that make him unethical? Like, so I, I just find that whole thing, that what Ari said kind of made me think about that. Uh, about it's like, like whether or not you should re free all the marijuana dealers from prison right now, like that, like that whole thing of like, yeah, should you be punished for breaking the rule when it existed, or should you be held to the standard of the current accepted reality of of what's going on in either the rule book or the law? You know, right. like that is always a murky uh, ethics discussion. M murky sure. is a good word for this whole thing. And are yeah. you might have said this earlier? I apologize if you did when you were explaining things. I was looking. Uh, okay, if you notes. blacked out during it, I yeah, did too. Yes, <laughs> and, uh, that was very like Will Ferrell of you. When you got job, really, you got right to it. That's how you debate. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> a, a lot of a lot of the issue is 
what they did, when they did it, when the rules or when the guidelines were announced and all that. Like that's the whole murky thing. And another thing too is we've written about this. I know Chris Vanini's written about it, but like at some point early in the process, I know Greg Sankey did say to the SEC schools, be careful. The rules aren't really in place right now, but the NCA at some point will be going after those who use NIL's inducement. So this doesn't, to me at least, and I don't go into the weeds into the weeds as much as some other all, all of our writers who cover this do. So I might miss some stuff. But like this didn't come out of nowhere again because Craig, Sa- Craig Greg Sankey told his member institutions, "Pump the brakes a little bit. This might come back to bite you." I sure. think like, it's not. Oh, go ahead, Grace. Sorry. Well, I mean, I just think like people are not really. I I literally was talking to a source about this two weeks ago. They're just not afraid of the NCAA, and so. Like, I think the whole college football business just didn't care and like didn't think that this would actually happen. And now here we are two years later, them enforcing something from, you know, 700 days ago. Yeah. Right. Florida State, Florida and Tennessee, different levels. I think. Go ahead, Manny. I was going to say, but what did they I mean, even Miami's situation with the Cavender twins, right? When when the women's basketball team got in trouble, Katie Meyer got suspended a couple games. They yelled at the booster in the FSU's case. The the OC misses three games. They get a couple scholarships. It, it's like, what are they really enforcing here? There's right. no, there's no death penalty anymore. There's no serious like punishment. And and so like, what are we doing here? It just it seems like a big clown show to me. But this is also the first time that a program could be getting in trouble over the actions of third party people that aren't affiliated or employed by the university. And that's kind of how it gets a little bit weird too. So. You know, I think that this is an interesting situation. Not, I'm not so much interested in what is going to happen to Tennessee as much as I am about like whether or not this is the beginning stages of just letting NIL be uh, complete and utter chaos with no rules, you know? And I think that some people have already approached it that way, but if they finally just say, you know, do what you want with NIL, good luck, everybody, you know, that would be a very interesting move. Um, and it just in the world today or in this country, it's just very, very hard to put a cap on what somebody can earn without a CBA collective bargaining agreement or making these guys employees. And there's a lot to it and it's very difficult. And we get into this a little bit more in the YouTube discussion, but this isn't just like a 10 minute, 15 minute discussion with a quick fix. This is like, you know, ethics and rules and, you know, the health of the sport, the evolution of the sport, where it's headed, all those things are all kind of coming to a head right now. And we knew that this was going to happen at the beginning once money got involved Um, but now it's like, you know, if somebody wants to make $8 million, uh, to go play football somewhere, like what kind of world would we be living in if you weren't allowed to, because of some weird NIL rule that the NCAA didn't even write, like the, they, they keep amending it and they keep doing guidelines for it. It wasn't even like written into the rule book the same way other ones were like, it's just a very bizarre and, um, you know, imbalanced situation. Really. It's, it's difficult. There, There is one thing though. This is bigger than Tennessee. It's more like college football as a whole. But as Joe Rexroad wrote, uh, the Athletic published this morning or published Wednesday morning. Tennessee's just coming off of violations from the Jeremy Pruitt issue. They, this would yeah. put them in the repeat offender. So that's another reason why this is even so such a bigger deal to Tennessee and why they are fighting it so vigorously because their ramifications, their penalties could be even more severe based on that. Um, before we move on, have we anybody else want to chime in on this? Have we we, we covered what we think we need to, to cover? I changed lanes without signaling. I changed lanes while running a red light and speeding. 
Do you know what I'm talking about? I'm not sure. Okay. Well, the listeners do. And if you do, okay. hit me up on Twitter. Uh, that's the scene from Jim Carrey uh, in Liar Liar when he gets pulled over by the cop. And they said, is he, the cop asked him, is there anything else? And he okay. goes, no, I've got unpaid <laughs> parking tickets. And then he hits the dashboard and now all the tickets come out. I've good movie. Saw it in the theater. I don't know great if I've movie. seen it. I, I've seen it since, but it's been a long time. Yeah. Great movie. Looking for an assist with your credit card, but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. So, guys, guess what? National Signing Day is next Wednesday. Are we excited? Woohoo! How many people are unsigned right now? Like one? Like um, two? Four? <laughs> like nine? There are, total four, kids? there are four top 100 players unsigned. That should have been our trivia question. <laughs> yeah. Um, <laughs> that would have been good. I would have been like, I would have answered like, two. like 30. Um, so, oh, yeah. 96. I, I, we probably say this every year, but this has to be the most, I hate to use the word insignificant because we cover recruiting and we're going to cover it next week. We're going to have content, but the least significant national signing day in February ever, because as we move, you know, further, we, just every year, there's more guys that sign in December. And we're going to get into some schedule stuff. Ari's working on a story about that, but real quick, the, the unsigned five stars are, are, Wide receiver Ryan Williams, who's number five, but recommitted to um, Alabama. And speaking of Alabama, I didn't do a good job at the intro of the show because I was so so excited. We got right into the Tennessee stuff. Um, Ari and I earlier in the week had a good conversation that's up on our YouTube channel with uh, new Alabama uh, general manager Courtney Morgan. Ari's written a lot about Courtney. was at Michigan, then at Washington with DeBoer. So uh, in a few minutes, we're going to get to that interview as well with Courtney Morgan. Um, so... Brian Williams, obviously a huge get for that new Alabama staff, recommitted to Alabama. Terry Bussey, the athlete, number 19. He's committed to AM, but that's very loose commitment. I know he was at LSU's campus, I believe, this week. So AM still in it, maybe Texas, uh, some schools there. Dominic McKinley, number 21, is committed to LSU, flipped from AM. So three five stars are unsigned, but two of them are committed. And then the other top 100 players uncommitted is Gatlin Bear, the wide receiver from Idaho, who Grace talked to his coach a few weeks ago, about a month ago. And at that point, it seemed pretty clear that if Michigan, if Jim Harbaugh was still in Michigan, that Gatlin Bear was going to go there. But now there's been a lot of crystal balls, everyone pointing to Oregon. And Grace, he is a, he's a two-year mission guy right away, right? He's not going, he's not going to college, right? Isn't he? Yeah. He's got his, his Mormon mission. He, I actually caught, caught up with his coach this week and he was saying that when he was on his Michigan visit, he straight up asked Harbaugh about the NFL and then has been making his decision as if Harbaugh would not be there, which I thought was interesting. Oh, interesting. That's uh yeah, I thought that was, uh, both times you talked to the coach, the coach has been very upfront with those conversations, how Gatlin's just clearly like 
asked the coach and, you know, as we've seen Harbaugh dance around the subject publicly, maybe he was a little more direct. I with think he was there. like pretty direct privately and just told him like, yeah, if something comes up that I like, I'd probably yeah. take so, it. I want to ask you guys, Ari's working on a story. We're not sure. Is it, it's going to be 10 things. It's going to am be. I, am I allowed to just rant right now? When we, when we, you, we have a podcast about recruiting Ari. Uh, you can rant. Um, about what? Not to, Is it about recruiting? About but football? Like when we start talking about like the signing day stuff, like the yeah. number one, I don't know how many it's going to be. I've gotten a lot of responses from a bunch of different people. Okay. And like, I've got a lot. Like, I, didn't, I didn't finish the thought. It's, it's X things that we would, you would, or we would change about recruiting. That's so go ahead. Okay. Yes, love you for finishing that. Well, you you, you started the rant serious. before. It was sincere. Yeah. I really okay. appreciate you doing that for me. Um, You're welcome, Ari. Thanks, bud. The whole thing is like everybody is just kind of like every single person I've talked to just hates the infrastructure of the rules about in general. Staffers, yeah, because some of them are going to be what I think, and then some of them are going to be um, just what people. The feedback I've gotten from the actual people who have to abide by these rules, and like. The calendar in the month of December is just like untenable. Like there's no reason why the early signing period should be in December at the same time as the portal and at the same time as the national championship race, especially in the world of the expanded playoff where things are going to be starting a little bit earlier. Like the whole idea and notion of the early signing period to me is just stupid because if you're going to do it, then do it like Two and a half months before the regular signing day does nothing but just speed up the the process to have people sign early. Now, as you mentioned, we just have four top 100 players left. There's going to be some movement, but it's just hard um, to keep track of all the moves and stuff as fans, and it's impossible for coaches to get a day off. Uh, not that I care about the coaches, but I do feel for the staffers that don't make as much money um, who work 90 days in a row without stopping because the, the calendar is so messed up. So I think um, if it were up to me and I'm probably going to write this in the story that the signing period, early signing period, that is should be sometime in the summer after the spring summer official visit window, allow the kids who know early on where they want to go to sign and then have, you know, half the players um, who haven't done that, go through the official visit process in the fall or people who choose to to extend it out, go through it and then have the regular signing day again, be in February. So they breaks up the calendar a little bit. It makes it less of a um, challenge to fill up a roster. It gives prospects the opportunity if they want to, to sign early or to drag things out. And then at the worst case, if your coach gets fired or he leaves, then you're able to go back in and you're, NIL or sorry, your NLI is void. And I think that to me, that just, that makes so much sense. So, um, okay. I don't that, know why that, I went on that ramp, but like, it doesn't leads, make it. Yeah. That's well, that leads me into like literally what my next, uh, my next bullet okay. point or rundown was, um, each of us has made the czar of recruiting or czar of college football. Czar of recruiting. We'll call it. The options are pay attention. We got, we got to get an answer. Keep it the way it is. With December and February signing days, option two, get rid of early signing day and just have February. Option three, early signing day before the season and when, we can't just say, and then February. I will start us off. I would have a August 1st signing day. It's before their senior season. Coaches will complain about, oh, development guys, they do it in college basketball and it works. And these guys take commitments from kids much younger than that. Now that we have all the official visits allowed during your junior year, they have all those June visits. Kids can take their visits, come home for a month, let July 
they can calm down. They won't necessarily be making impulsive decisions. And then they can commit August 1st. And then if not, they wait till February. I'll throw in another wrinkle there, which I didn't. And another option is you are allowed to commit and sign anytime you want after you know you finish your junior year. You can just sign. There's no signing date. So, okay, Grace, what would be um, your choice? I like option three. I, I think August also makes a lot of sense. I don't hate option four. Just let you sign when you're ready. Like if you know and you want to lock down your spot, I think that would help a lot with like uncommittable offers and that issue, which is so bad right now in college football. But um, I think I would still lean option three, like August and and February. Czar Grace goes option three. Manny. I'm going to go with option three as well, but I will tell you, Grace and I spoke to like 20 something all Americans in Orlando and Grace, they kept telling me when I asked them this question, a lot of them just said, I couldn't sign in August because I've got to see if my position coach leaves. I've got to see if the coordinator leaves at the end of the season. And while I understand the rules currently as applied is if the head coach leaves, you're free to kind of find a new school. That does not include assisting coaches or position coaches. And I think that's something that might have that's to be amended. Well, I think yeah. it, it's, well, I, or, or I'd say don't amend it. And just that's up to the kid. You know, mm-hmm. if you really want to go to that school, you want that spot locked up. I want to go. And I understand my position coach might not be there. If it's that important to me, I won't sign. So, okay. Ari? Um, I think that every single one has its issues. I think that if you put yourself in a position where kids are allowed to um, sign in July, that middle-tier players that haven't developed all the way fully will be forced to sign at places that they don't want to go to or they might not want to go to if they had a full range of options that they might get after the fact. Like if Gatlin Bear, who we're talking about today, was forced to sign last July, he might not be in Michigan. Like that's you know, so like that to me is is worrisome. I personally think that I would be okay just going back to it being in February now with the portal um, being in place. You know, there's no reason to you know bind anybody unnecessarily, um, especially considering the fact that if you do bind people early in in July or August that you're going to have to write provisions that allow them to leave. If things and circumstances change, let the portal era or the portal window open and shut because it kind of has to be in December based on the academic calendar. And then that gives coaches two months or three months um, from the closure of that portal window to assemble their numbers, get their rosters together, make late pushes for players and nobody's committed or signed at that time. Like I, I think that um, I'm probably talking myself into the fourth option, which is go back to the old way. Um, but my only contention is, is if you're going to have an early signing period, and I think it, it kind of seems like it's going to be there no matter what, that it makes sense to do it in July. So I think I'd do four if it were, if I were the czar and I could like redo or undo things that have happened. But if we still have to live within the limitations or the guidelines that have already existed, then I would want to move the early period to, to August and then allow that to happen as well. And as Grace pointed out, would also lead or weed out a lot of the fake bullshit offers that go out to kids that aren't actually committable because the kid will find out super soon, you know, mm-hmm. in their recruitment, whether or not those are real. And eventually too, I think that also puts an impetus on really, really good evaluations and makes coaches think twice about who they're going to uh, offer and maybe slows down the notion that you have to offer a seventh grader or an eighth grader. Um, and it slows down the process a little bit, um, which is probably a good thing. We're going to get to the Courtney Morgan interview in a second. And uh, speaking about slowing down the process, uh, I'm going to tease in, in a couple of weeks, we're going to have a college baseball uh, coaches forum that I'm putting together. Let's go. Um, 
and one of the questions was, I don't know, you guys don't follow college, many might a little bit, but college baseball kids have been committing for about 15, 10 years, committing earlier than any other sport, eighth grade, ninth grade, like heading into their ninth grade. And you, you, your boards, you might have 15 commitments for a class like four years down the road. Well, the NCAA starting with this year, there can be no contact either way for college baseball or high school baseball players until August 1st after their sophomore year. So basically wow. they cannot. That seems very drastic. It's very drastic. They they can't, they can go to a camp. Like I can go, Ari, you can send little Ari to a University of Arizona camp and they can be coached there, but they can't have recruiting discussions. So there's a little murky area there, but you can't, you can't. So they'll most certainly be having recruiting discussions. There. Definitely. So yeah. you can't, you can't call them, but it's interesting. So I've talked to five coaches so far and all of them think it's a great idea, except Steve Owens, the coach at Rutgers, Big Ten school. They do a good job in the Big Ten, but he's like, it's challenging for us. We go, most of our rosters from New Jersey. We need to know our state the best. We go out, we find these kids when they're young before everyone else finds them. And we get them committed because we do our homework. We know all the kids here. And now he's worried that he's not going to get those evaluations. Those kids are going to basically get too good for records and start committing elsewhere and stuff like that. It's very interesting how everyone had, uh, some guys had different answers for that, but, um, we are going to get to this discussion with Courtney Morgan. Um, Ari referred to the calendar and I think, or Ari, didn't he say unprompted that December sucks? In, in the, I think he did say that December sucks. And through my reporting on the piece that I'm working on for next week, I asked a few people like what they would do to change the calendar. And I got multiple responses saying, blow the whole thing up. So yes. um, my favorite thing about recruiting rules and complaining about them is, is that everybody hates them for different reasons. And you have to be careful because coaches hate rules that are advantageous for other schools. And they arrive at their opinions based on their current position and not necessarily what's good for the sport. Um, but everybody universally is angry and everybody is universally angry <laughs> about different things. And there's no like, paintbrush that you could just go everybody be happy now like there, there's going to be people who are upset um but obviously your perspective even like courtney morgan as we're going to get into here it's like his concerns about what rules should change in alabama are very different than when he was at at, at washington or even san jose state or, yeah so all right here's our here's our talk with uh, courtney morgan so happy to have you on uh courtney i wrote a story about you uh, a few weeks ago about um you helping assemble two rosters that played for a national championship. You were the GM at Washington. You came over to Alabama recently with Kalen DeBoer, but before that you were at Michigan. You've got a very nice resume. How's the last few weeks of your life been? Uh, it's been good. You know, I just like to clear that up. I don't think I assembled both rosters. <laughs> you know, I, I helped I, assemble. I helped bring in some key contributing pieces that help both teams get to the championship. I think, the class that I helped assemble at, at Michigan, I would say probably four of those guys were key pieces to their, their championship. And in Washington, I mean, Chris Peterson and Jimmy Lake had a phenomenal group of kids there when we got there. And then we brought in some really good portal guys to help get us over the hump. Courtney, we always hear when a new staff comes in about, you know, whether or not there's guys who are familiar, familiar with that recruiting area or new to the area. But like, li like literally when you come in and you, you got the, you, uh, most of the 24 classes done, but you're looking ahead, is it as simple as just calling high school coaches throughout Alabama and in Georgia? Or do you, have you contacted these guys before just because everyone recruits the South? Like, how does that, how, how do you kind of get to know all these coaches? I think I can only speak for myself. I think, 
I could take as far as back as me playing it at Michigan and having teammates from all over the country. I mean, I, I don't think there's a state that I don't have people that are tied to people that I can call people or can put me in touch with people. And, um, you know, and then being at Michigan on the personnel side, it's another national recruiting team. So you, you spend time developing relationships at Michigan. And, you know, the world is more connected than people than people know. Even having West Coast ties, the West Coast kids and the seven on seven coaches come down south to play in tournaments. And I think if you're a good person, you're good people, and you're a genuine person, people connect you with people. Like, you know, when I when I land in any region, I have people who are calling me, tell me you need to know this guy, you need to know this guy, you need to talk to this guy. Um, and I think, you know, my background of playing at Michigan, having teammates who are from Mississippi, New Orleans, Florida the DMV, I mean, you name it, we have players on our team. And those guys going to coach high school football, working football. And I think it's just I'm a people person. So if you're a people person, my relatives is pretty, pretty extensive. Courtney, when you uh, were at your previous stops, I feel like the strategy probably shifted pretty dramatically, right, in terms of – you know, who you were scouting, the strategy in which you went to get those players. I mean, from San Jose State to, you know, Washington and Michigan, these back, these are different places in different parts of the country at different levels. Um, now taking this job at Alabama um, as the GM there, has your strategy or thought process about how to accumulate talent or the way you have to build Alabama's roster because of the expectations that were set in place at that program shifted from maybe even a month ago when you were at Washington? Yeah, I mean, you get the the pleasure of uh, recruiting at a very high level um, and having access and credi- instant credibility with the top players. Um, I think my philosophy doesn't change as far as evaluation. Um, I mean, I, I would even just now, you know, ten minutes before I walked in to do this interview, I spent an hour with Coach Malinquis watching probably about fifty to sixty corners. And watching guys who are ranked high versus guys who are a little more unknown, and sometimes there's not a major difference in the, the movement of the players. It just happens that they're probably at a certain high school. Um, they went to, they're with the right circle of people that could help them um, get a little more notoriety. I, I think my philosophy and approach to evaluation is the same. You're going to look at everyone, and you're, um, you're going to stick to your critical factors and what you need for your, your defense or offense. And then everyone gets evaluated the same. But I think being down in this region, you don't have to go far. You know, um, at Washington, um, you know, you, you, you're kind of isolated up in the Pacific Northwest. So you had to recruit heavy California, heavy West Coast here. I mean, you get in the car, you drive five hours. There's a lot of good football players, you know, and – I think, you know, if you really hone in on, you know, the five-hour radius around the school, uh, you could fill a pretty good class. Courtney, when we were on the phone a few weeks ago, um, we were talking about how it was different at Washington than maybe it was at Michigan in terms of, you know, fan perception or star ratings and things like that. And we're talking about, you know, you now being at a place that signed nine five-stars in a single class two years ago. Um, how do you think that's going to shift for for you in terms of your mindset? I know you guys are probably going to be attacking a higher caliber of athlete just given where you are, but do you have to rewire your brain in terms of the 
the the starting point or the expectation of of what you know you guys need to sign at Alabama to be perceived as successful there? Yeah, you know what the 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 expectations for the job are when you take it. But also keep in mind Alabama um athletic department and every the whole university gives you every resource you can imagine to get those type of kids. Um, you know, from strength and nutrition to I mean everything you need to sign a five star kid, they have it. So um you definitely have the tools to do it. You you're talking about watching film before you came in here. As a talent evaluator, what do you find more valuable? Watching a kid's tape or going to a game Friday night? I know that the staffers aren't allowed to go out, but watching a game tape or watching a kid in your own camp go against, if he's a DB going against like another five-star receiver, what do you get more out of? You know, one thing I found interesting here, I think it's legendary, everyone knows. One thing Coach Saban did here and the staff before us and the staffs previously his whole tenure I mean, they did a hell of a job of getting kids to camp. I mean, that's that's really the best evaluation. I mean, it's impressive. <laughs> we used to laugh when I was at Michigan or other schools, kids that you would want to come to camp to work out, and they're looking at you like, I'm not working out. Then you read, you know, three days later, they, they did a whole combine workout for Coach Saban. Like, <laughs> so I think, I think <laughs> we, want, we, we definitely want to continue to bring kids to camp because that's really been the standard here. Um, and getting live evaluation before, for 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 those prospects. So um, we want to continue that and getting live evaluations. I think film is just a starting point, right? And then it's also looking at camp film, um, you know, spring evaluations, and then get them to camp. Like you know, we're not really taking commitments unless you see a kid in your own uh, in your own with your own eyes. Hey, Courtney, when you look at um you know, that little anecdote you said about Nick Saban and the kids that would come to camp that wouldn't camp with you at a previous stops and stuff. Um, have you taken a moment to reflect on the job that you and Kalen DeBoer and the rest of the staff have been hired to do, which is to take over for maybe the greatest coach of all time? And in doing so, is that an intimidating proposition? And how much do you time do you spend uh, in your position and, and other staff members that you're working with spend on studying and trying to internalize and become a sponge to a lot of the ways that Saban and his previous steps did things at that school. Uh, I mean, I don't have time to think about that. I mean, we, we, we played the national championship game on Monday, flew home on Tuesday, Friday, I want to play in the Tuscaloosa. And, you know, I mean, every once in a while, I sit back and think like, wow, we're at Alabama, but you got to work. Um, we have a lot of great people who are here when we got here who was constantly learning about things they did that were successful, but also we have things that we've done that we think um, will be successful here as well. But we respect it. I mean, the number one thing you have to do when you come into any area, any school, is respect the people in the region, respect the high school coaches, respect the football, um, just have a ton of respect for where you are. I think if you show respect, for, for people will, will will help not help you, but they'll you show you give love, they give you love. So the first thing we did was want to just show respect to all the high school coaches and all the people in the area and the surrounding states. But just really to answer your question, we don't have time to really sit back and have wow moments. We hit the ground running. 
you've been at three major state universities, uh, obviously Michigan, Washington, now Alabama, to varying different levels. There's there's pressure to take in-state kids. And Ari and I talked about this a lot. Was it two years ago? It was maybe the best year ever for Alabama, like in the state of Alabama. But there were like six top 100 defensive linemen. Obviously, you're, you're not going to take them all. Um, when you're at the state school, how difficult are those conversations sometimes with a high school coach and a kid who wants to go there? And on paper, most people, the fans think he's good enough to go there, but you got to tell him or the coach, we're going with his other kid. Is that just yeah. part of the job? That, that's whatever school you're at. But I think if you handle a situation with total transparency and um, you, you're, you're mindful of that when you're recruiting the kid, um, you know, you don't offer in-state kid unless you're ready to take this commitment. Um, we don't, you know, the, the ramifications of that, of mismanaging that situation could provide long-term consequences. So um, I think, like I said, it goes back to what I said, respect, respecting the high school coach and just being transparent. People, it's, it's with anything, you know, you tell people bad news, but they'll appreciate you being honest and respectful. I think nowadays in the climate of college football, people respect transparency. Yeah, with, with the way that um, college football is adapting, I think that's a pretty nice segue to this is how much different is your job in recruiting in general in 2024 and late 2023 than it was, you know, when you were at Michigan, you know, four years, five years ago? Um, in Michigan, NIL was in its infancy, right? So it wasn't a major player. I think people didn't really weren't educated on it. They didn't know. Um how they really athletes and no one knew it was kind of you know in its infancy so it's just new it was just a word it was a, it was a term and i think now nil has really changed the landscape the transfer portal has really changed the landscape i think the combination of the two along with the ncaa calendar has really shifted um the paradigm of college football so uh, i think you're, you're you're doing a lot of things at one time you're trying to have Retain your roster, evaluate high school kids, manage manage your roster as people are constantly leaving to see, make sure you're taking what you really need. And, um, you know, still trying to evaluate and communicate and recruit high school kids. And each recruitment is different. You know, the way you recruit a portal kid is different the way you recruit a high school kid. So making sure that you're prepared uh, internally to present to each each prospect because they're both choosing schools for different reasons. Courtney, I think people, our listeners would be interested in the logistics of like, uh, of how you guys decide who to offer. Like you might go into your, and, and say, we need three wide receivers. So you and your staff, are you the guys that w- you might find five or six wide receivers? And then you go to the, you know, the offensive staff, Ryan Grubb and coach DeBoer, and then you guys collaborate on who to offer. Or do you say, here's the, our top three, like, how does that go, and who 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 decides who gets the offer? It's a, it's uh, it's everybody. I mean, I think well, well, basically, the the criteria we set forth as a staff for every position determines the offer. So, if he meets what we're looking for, and then the character matches up, the person, um, toughness, and the intangible things you don't see on the film lineup, then it's usually an offer. Um, both coordinators have say so on their sides of the ball. So, and we, and we make sure that the kids are fit, but, um, we just make sure we set the criteria, something that we stick to no matter what. 
And then if the box is a check, then it's usually an offer. Courtney, when you are at the national championship game, you know, three weeks ago with your current school facing your former school and the place that you played for, and then you're on a plane to Tuscaloosa four days later, I can't imagine the culmination of emotion that you probably went through in a seven day period. Can you take us through like what your personal life was like? Maybe not, you know, (laughs) crazy details, but I just mean like (laughs) dealing with like all of those emotions, those life changes, the traveling, all that, like logistically, what was it like for you to go through all that? Yeah, I'm pretty tired. (laughs) (laughs) We haven't had a day off since camp started in August, seven days a week, but. Um, I mean, it's, like I said, it was emotional because I have good friends on the Michigan side. Staff means, you know, that's from the athletic director to the associate athletic directors to alums and donors and, you know, the former team, my, one of my best friends, Ron Bellamy is over there. I mean, these are guys I talk to throughout the season all the time, just checking in, having non-football conversations. And then the kids that I built bonds with at Michigan, and then the kids you come to Washington, and you know I'm in a foxhole with the guys at Washington every day, you know. So those are family, family, you know. So it was tough. Um, I hate to lose. I mean, I, yeah, I love them, but I hate to lose. But walking off that field was emotional. Um, you always I feel bad for the kids because you know the work that they put in to get there and. To see them disappointed and knowing some of some of them playing their last football game in life, you know what I mean? That's the sucks. It's almost like everything we did going undefeated didn't even matter when you lose that game. Like you don't even want to hear about it. It doesn't even matter because you were that close to holding the trophy up. So it's tough. And even now you think about it like, damn, we were close, you know, but and then you go back and say, well, I'm happy, you know, a couple of my friends are national champions. And, you know, they went through the same road to get there as well. So it's been a good sport. You you were happy for them. But, yeah, it was hard. And then to come and uh, leave, pick up and go to Seattle or Tuscaloosa at the drop of a dime. And we literally had official visits flying that Friday. And then I'm telling them they have to go home and then staff meeting and we get on the plane pack the bag with maybe four pair of underwear and some socks and we're on the plane in Tuscaloosa and I haven't been been in Seattle since so but at the same time it's a blessing you know who packed your apartment you're still sitting there are <laughs> <laughs> right, you want a little are you need a little money on the side you go, yeah, yeah, I mean I could move I mean I'm, I'll pay somebody else to, to pack to actually lift things but uh, I'll help you out um yeah. so Courtney, I, I wanted, I, I, well, real quick man okay. sorry I just wanted to say that like I'm like a national title snob usually on the show <laughs> and by no stretch of the imagination is what Washington did last year not worthy of of remembering like I hope that's not how you feel in the playoffs? No, no, at the, at the yeah. moment, at the moment, so at the moment, yeah, you couldn't, you couldn't look past that game. You know, but, like, you know, it was. I really, I knew we were going to win that game. So, no, what we did was remarkable. I mean, we beat Oregon twice. We went undefeated at home. We won the Pac-12. I mean, we had a great season. It was fun, but the heartbreak of that loss couldn't see past that. Yeah. Now you probably you're. 
I think you used the term foxhole before, your national championship, you're not paying attention. And then you see, okay, well, Nick Saban's retired. At any point on your own, did you say, hmm, I wonder if Kalen DeBoer would be a good fit there? When did it occur to you that this might actually happen? I mean, I knew we had one of the best coaches in the country. So any opening, his name probably going to come up, you know. I wasn't surprised. But you also, you know, know how much he loved Washington. You know, like he really liked it there. So I, I don't know. It, I, 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 I tell you the truth. December in this profession sucks because <laughs> you just don't know. You think you? Yeah. I mean, who would ever thought we'd be playing a national championship on Monday, and then your life will flip on Friday? You know, so you just never know. And it sucks because you just know it's the time where you know. Bonds are like broken. People you work with every day are moving on, going to different places, and it's just it's that time of year. We can't uh, mention the prospects uh, name by name, <laughs> but you guys did a remarkable job with a, a young man who's a five-star prospect who had decommitted after Saban left and to bring him back in the fold. In terms of the symbolism of that of of showing that this is something that you guys are not only capable of but have already done um does getting your first five star in the fold uh your first elite level athlete at a place that has done it so often did that kind of make it feel like you were you guys are ready ready to run and on the right track or what was that like absolutely i mean you gotta give a lot of credit to the guys that were still on staff after Coach Saban left. They did a great job of maintaining that relationship until the new staff got in. And they, they, the guy, the people that were here, you know, um, Coach Roach and Denzel and Ashley and Carrie. I mean, all the people here, they kept that re- that relationship really strong. And Coach Shep came in. And Coach Shep, you know, does his thing. You know, if. Once you meet him and your wide receiver, it's not too many kids that don't want to play for him. And um, yeah, it was a big deal. It was a big deal, and we made it a priority. When we walked in the door the first day, man, our, the athletic director gave us his name. During the interview for the other story, uh, we had a, a a discussion that I thought was super interesting of the difference between evaluation and recruiting at a high level. And how taking the top 50 players in the country isn't really a pure evaluation because it's so clear and obvious that they're very good. Um, Or they're not that good. (laughs) I wish we could keep you on for three hours, dude. I I could go down that that road if you wanted to. Um, But in a world now where your competition is no longer – teams in the Pac-12 and the Pacific Northwest and your competition is Georgia and LSU and Ohio State and Florida and Miami and Texas and everybody else. Is your job, I don't know if harder is the right word, is it more stressful when you're going to be expected to, there's a, the recruitments, you know, talent aside are probably more high pressure because of the NIL situation. The, the, play, the, the pools that you're swimming in now are for athletes that are perceived nationally as high caliber. How does that shift what you have to do from day to day? And is it more difficult uh, on a day-to-day basis or stressful for you? It's definitely more pressure, but I mean, anyone who knows me personally, me personally, I, I mean, I would say I'm built for this. This is, you know, 
Um, I think our, our staff knows, for one, we have a great product to sell. You just have to get in front of the kids and get them on campus. I'm a believer of getting kids on campus. So the number one thing is get them on campus. If we continue to get kids on campus, get around our staff, see what we have to offer. I mean, we are at Alabama. So, yeah, there's a lot of pressure, but we, they, we also have an incredible product to sell, and that helps. It's worse for the people that have to compete with those schools that don't have a good product to sell. So look, there's schools in the conference that have to compete with those schools who have, you know, less, like I said, a worse product or a harder product to sell. We got a great product to sell. Yeah. So that helps. Mitch, can you think of any schools that have a harder product to sell? Uh, I'm a Vanderbilt grad, so Ari's trying to t- Ari's trying to get a dig at, at me, but uh, I'm I'm above it, so I won't say anything. Can I ask one last question, Courtney, and then I'll get you out of here? You just said December sucks, right? I can't imagine what it's like to be competing for a national championship uh, coming up on the early signing period and the transfer window and coaching carousel all in the 30 day period. Um, I say this because I'm working on a story and I want to know what your opinion is, and it doesn't have to be calendar related. But if there is a recruiting rule. Um, that you could change or you think is stupid or, um, you know, is just point blank moronic. Is there one that you would change if you were like in charge of all this? Two. <laughs> yeah. Uh, no. One, let personnel staff on the road. All right. That, that makes no sense. You got people who spend all day evaluating kids, setting the, the, the recruiting um, strategy, evaluation process talking to parents, why wouldn't you let those guys on the road? Right? That makes no sense. In the NFL, scouts go on the road, right? So I think that that should be changed. Number two, um, push back the portal today. Like push it to after the season. And what they should do is also mandate the schools who are semester schools maybe have um, a, a, some type of uh, – admissions window where they collect kids in um like february or because it's unfair you got the quarter schools that can get kids in in march so they have an advantage in the portal because if you don't you can get a kid in the school later or semester school has to wait until may right so if there was another window where schools of either the admissions um the admissions department will allow um another entry um uh, entry window into school like in, in January or early February, and then we think I push the portal date back to January and allow you to breathe a little bit and get through December. Well, Courtney, the the last thing I have for you is what is your uh, top fifteen players on your big board and what states are they in? <laughs> I'm kidding. I'll talk to you off record. <laughs> I still won't tell you. I still won't. Yeah, still won't tell me. All right, good stuff from Courtney Morgan there, the new general manager at the University of Alabama. Guys had a good career. Michigan, Washington, Alabama. It's pretty good, some pretty good schools there he's worked for. Um, one thing that we did not talk about, and well, it's it's about the calendar, but like, can you imagine these schools? You're, you're a new staffer, you get there in whether it's at Arizona, Washington, Alabama. It's late in the process. You get your job January 12th. You got a few weeks before the dead period and you got to put together a junior day and like you're just getting <laughs> like you're calling all these coaches who you don't know, getting all these kids. Now, sir, sir, certainly some kids were already scheduled to come, but that's just got to be for I think Courtney told us already that he hadn't had a day off since preseason camp. 
Like, good luck having a day yeah. off in the next few weeks there. Just, just. I was on the phone the other day with a P5 person who is, like, going on a cruise with his wife in March or something. And he said, like, I had to tell them eight months in advance, like, I'm going no matter what. I'm not getting my – he goes, I can't even go to dinner with my wife without looking at my phone. That is the like, best vacation if you want to – because, like, you're literally – you cannot – There's no excuse. Gonna, yeah. get a hel- I could see Nick Saban's right. in a helicopter well, They have internet on the ships now, Mitch. Yeah, I know, but you can't – be forced to come back to campus. Like if something happens, like you, you're like in the middle of the ocean. So are you should start doing that going on cruises? Yeah. So we, we can't pull you back. I mean, the funny thing about our job, Mitch, and you might not know that is, is all you need is a laptop. I, I'm, I know. That. I'm but aware. I will go on a cruise. If, would you like to go on? I want to go to an Alaskan cruise. I'm watching the, uh, Yes, true you guys watch True Detective. I have no yeah. idea what's going on in True Detective. I don't either, but can somebody explain <laughs> to me what kind of psychopath would live in like that environment? I know. Like that you, is you, Manny, Grace, you guys watching True Detective? No, I, but I, I just go on finished, Alaskan cruise. Yeah, I have been on Alaskan cruise. I will say that as well. You did? That was 18 year old, uh, my 18th birthday. My parents decided to, uh, my, when you, I graduated, ooh. that was the uh, celebration. Not SeaWorld? <laughs> Not SeaWorld. Yeah, no, we decided <laughs> to uh, go out and see the glaciers in person. Ari. <laughs> I got to tell you, Manny, I love you, buddy. Your, that was your high school graduation gift? That well, my dad worked for the uh, Norwegian Cruise Lines okay, for, right. for like twenty five years. So that was. I just the, feel like you guys have like very bizarre celebra- celebrations. <laughs> like of like, <laughs> I just graduated high school. Let's go to Alaska. It's just like, but that makes sense now. Uh, I I feel like an Alaskan cruise would be great, and it would be like actually going to SeaWorld, but seeing the wildlife like in their natural happy habitats. That's what it was like. Yeah, you see the whales out there. Everything. <laughs> you, you guys know how scared I am of bears. Polar bears are the most vicious, so I don't know if I'll be going Polar to. bears are? I thought they were the sweet ones. Oh, no, so no. They just do no. that for the Coke commercials. They will just freaking maul you. <laughs> oh, that's hilarious because, like, my wife calls me, like, the Coke polar bear. Is that a compliment? I Like, it's because it's cute and it's, like, bigger and, you know. <laughs> cute and cuddly. Jolly in the commercials and, like, I'm, Maybe like, a happy guy. Maybe she thinks you're secretly vicious. <laughs> but yeah. I, I guess I, I I do maul. Uh, yeah, okay, never mind. Okay. Um <laughs> So I do watch True Detective. I don't really know what's going on, but it's a good show. Um, and I, I agree with you, Ari. I think it's cool that it's in like just a weird location like that. We're learning different parts. Um, so, um, Manny, you wrote a story this week published to Wednesday, I think, about the Florida class. Mm-hmm. It wasn't breaking news. We know what happened no. with Florida's class. Uh, once ranked as high as three nationally, now 15, no no. Huge shame in 15. I guess if you're in Florida, you should Mitch, be better than 15. Yeah. It's a, okay. An you're, you're, unmitigated disaster. We, there's no reason <laughs> okay. to be nice. Okay. It's, like, it's a complete disaster. Yeah. Okay. An unmitigated disaster. There's no disaster. shame for 15 if you've never signed a top 20 class before. There is. Okay. It is like stage nine, like meltdown. <laughs> okay. <laughs> okay. Gotcha. Chernobyl of recruiting. Chernobyl Going of to- recruiting is Florida. Yeah. It's not okay. like, oh, we signed a top 15 class. Like, it's like, Okay. Light it all on fire. Fair. fair. I just wanted to make sure you weren't being yeah. too nice because I was trying. I, w- I okay. was being too nice. So, Manny, you, you guys, you talked to some of those kids there in Orlando at the Under Armour All American camp and some pretty candid quotes on both sides of the kids mm-hmm. who stuck with them and some of the kids that, that flipped. Just kind of highlight what was in that story and, you know, just kind of shows the pressure that we know the staff is on next year. Yeah. I mean, I think for a guy like DJ Lagway, um, who obviously was the, the crown jewel of Florida's class uh, for Billy Napier. And probably the only reason 
Uh, I don't want to say he still has a job, but certainly still has a chance to keep his job uh, going forward. Uh, you know, to hear it from his perspective, what it was like, you know, the the uh, WhatsApp thread that all those guys were on and how one by one they would just kind of say, OK, I'm out of here. I'm leaving the class. And what he had to be thinking down the stretch when USC and Texas A&M and some other schools were approaching him, you know, for him to stick it out. Uh, the impression I just came away with was that he's, he's seriously is loyal, fiercely loyal. And I'm sure. Florida's collective did their part to try to make him happy. Uh, but at the same time, like if you're DJ Lagway and you're one of the best high school quarterbacks in the country, like you really have to like Billy Napier a whole lot to, to stay committed when everybody else is fleeing. And, and I just thought that was kind of, it was kind of unique to get him to talk about that a little bit one-on-one. Um, and the same thing uh, with Miles Graham, who's a top 100 linebacker. And a legacy, uh, a Florida legacy. And a legacy, right. His dad played there. Um, I thought it was just interesting to hear what it was like from them and, and just how, you know, there were hurt feelings, right? Like, cause these guys become friends through the recruiting process. They visit Gainesville a ton together. They go out together. And then to just have all your buddies basically pull out on you and say, yeah, it's, I, I just don't see it. I think this thing's going to fall apart. I thought it was kind of cool to just have that opportunity to talk to all of them in one place like we did in Orlando and, and to get that story. Yeah, and who was it? Xavier? Is it Phil Same? Is that how you pronounce his last name? Same, yeah. Phil Same Texas, was the, very the honest too, basically saying, uh, you know, he, he flipped to Texas, and first of all, he said it was not NIL related. He said, mm-hmm. you know, I had better offers, um, better NIL offers. He just really he, he didn't like what he saw from te- from Florida. Like late in the year, yeah. the season was falling apart. The meetings he'd go to, he didn't love the the body language type stuff. So I that just. Good job with the story, but I just thought it was really interesting. And in that setting, you guys, we've talked about that on the podcast before. In that setting, that one-on-one, you're not on the phone. You're not trading texts with the kids. Sometimes they're a little bit, you know, more upfront when, when you're asking good questions. So I thought that was that was interesting stuff there. Did did you tell him that Ari thought that it was just an unmitigated disaster and it was good that he got out of the class? <laughs> well, listen, I, I think a lot of them certainly felt like uh, there was no reason to sort of maintain faith in, in Napier after after losing five in a row and and all that stuff and seeing seeing a bunch of guys get in the portal. Like, I think some of these kids clearly think I'd end up in the portal in a year or two and, and, and they don't want their careers to start off that way. So, you know, it's a tough it's a tough uh, decision to make, but interesting story, interesting interviews. I think Great. Phil Same was Great. the first one that flipped out, wasn't he? No, it was Waller, wasn't it? Javonta Waller. Yeah, Javonta. That was the first one in the middle of the season. Yeah, uh, who ended up? Um, but Phil Same was the one that started the avalanche of defections, right? In December, in December, yeah. when they uh, when the last four that left. So, but it was eight blue chippers from November, mid-November on. Once the, the the Gators started that losing streak, and I looked up every Power Five team. The only other program that had as many blue chippers decommit was Texas A and M, and they um, had a coaching change. And they had a coaching change, oh. right? So this was essentially like a coaching change yeah. uh, with what happened at Florida. All right, Grace, can we talk about the Clemson Tigers? Let's do it. So excited there. She's They're so excited. <laughs> yes, they are. Um, three commitments uh, this week. Um, defensive lineman Isaiah Campbell. This is class of 2025. Number 72 overall from Durham, North Carolina. Offensive tackle Braden Jacobs. Number 174 from Buford, Georgia. Offensive tackle Jalen Beckley. Number 505 from Addison, Texas. Then last week, they get Grace's neighbor in Norfolk, Virginia. The second most athletic Ari that I know of. Edge Ari Watford. Number Ari 30. W. Yeah, Ari W. Yeah, basically he's a five-star. Right now he's a four-star at number 30, but if you're number 30 in the class in the composite, you're going to be a five-star. Kid goes to high school like a couple blocks from Grace. Um, there's connections everywhere, but 
right now. Is he Cron- funny? <laughs> I, I've been sliding into his DMs so many times, and it's not. I just need to walk over to this school and just be like, "Hello." It's, uh, there's a limit. I had this discussion with my yeah. previous editor before Mitch, but like, how many times can you DM a 17 year old? Before, I agree. Like, you Without can't like the anymore. blue to no I came ratio. Up with three creepy. over. I was gonna a three say three, three and a half is the over under. <laughs> yeah, I'm under on that. Yeah, because um, like one, they might blow you off. Two. They might be interested and forget by the third time they've either they've they've made their decision they're not going to get back to you. But I think I DM'd Quinn Ewers when he was recruit like seventeen times in a six month period, and, and like I probably would go to prison yeah. if that was ever like yeah. It's well, uh, Travis Hunter though you were pretty <laughs> persistent with him and you finally got him right. Yeah, yeah. I mean sometimes they just yeah, they have a million DMs and they don't like look at it the same way that we do, but yeah. it's just you know. I've only DM'd him once actually. I just looked it up. It's time okay. to slide back in. Slide okay. back in. So Clemson, number three <laughs> class right now with 11 commitments, nine blue chippers. Um, so after Grace wrote that, Grace wrote a story last week, kind of just looking at deep dive into Clemson. Can they get their mojo back? Um, Love that, to, by the way. Off to a good start. I'm going to go over the top 10 classes for 2025 right now. Notre Dame's number one, 14 commitments, nine blue chippers. Their their class right now is basically a product of the numbers. They will based on their average player rating, they are not going to stay Notre there. Notre Dame is number one in January yeah. for the following year, every year. Two years in a row. LSU, this is one with staying power. Ten commitments, nine blue chippers, three five stars, including the number one players in the country, at least according like last week, a quarterback, wide receiver, running back. Uh, Ohio State is number four, only seven commits. But six blue chippers. Oklahoma's number five, nine with five blue chippers. Uh, I won't run down them all. Uh, Wisconsin making a guest appearance at number 10, seven commits, but only one blue chipper. Still early in the class, as we've chronicled here, though, a lot of five, a lot of quarterbacks are off the board. Not a ton of five stars, but a lot of quarterbacks are off the board. Um, Ari, I don't know if we discussed, yeah, we did discuss this, but next week after signing day, you're going to kind of write a early thoughts looking ahead at 2025 class. We did not discuss that, but sure. It's, uh, I can show you the Slack message that I sent you <laughs> with it on it. I've never read anything that you've sent me on Slack. <laughs> that is a, that is that is a lie. Are we going to get into the semantics of the Tennessee case here? Where what's, what's, a, what's a lie and what's not a lie? So Ari will be doing that. Um, so, all right. Are we ready for a little trivia? Bring it. Okay. Which college football playoff team any team in the 10-year college football 14 era signed the worst class in the cycle after its playoff appearance. So basically a year and a half later. Michigan like, State. Washington. Cincinnati. It's There's a caveat that I didn't get to. Okay, we all like that. Which team shouldn't have been in it to begin with. Yeah, exactly. Manny is correct, but I was going to – the caveat was going to be without a coaching change. Cincinnati okay. dipped to 75 after Fickle left. So Cincinnati is correct at 75. <laughs> but beyond that, it's Michigan State was at 36. What so made, I was right. What made me think about it was TCU's class this year at 34. Gotcha. So TCU and Michigan State did not have coaching changes. Um, but when they expand the playoff, everybody's going to recruit I, I, better. I was thinking about you, Ari. Okay. Oregon's class of 2016 was 27. But that was uh, that, uh, those stretched out. I think they had a new coach like Taggart. They had, I'm sure that was a a coaching uh, change there. So um, yeah, if you make the 11 seed, bud, you're going to be signing 10 t- top 10 classes moving forward. Uh, what program the college football playoff? It ruined the recruiting balance. 
I'm trying to think. Obviously, Penn State's the program that we re- that we think of all the time. There's another one. Um, in terms of benefiting from the expanded know, playoff? Yeah. Well, I think Ole Miss is kind of in that range now where every year they seem to finish in that. Or not every year. Two of the last three years, they seem to finish in that kind of Maybe Utah. 12, Utah's eight. another one. Yeah, yeah. So, all right, guys. Well, it's good to get the, 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 the band back together here. Ari, would you like to um, do your thing? Thank you for listening to the latest edition of Until Saturday, Stars Matter edition. We will <laughs> what? Well, you, you should just say Stars Matter. Forgot, you forgot what entire feed. Are you not a team team player? <laughs> Thank you guys so much for listening to the latest edition of Stars Matter. We will catch you next time. We're on the microphone. <laughs> <laughs>